Welcome to the Country Chapel Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing lessons in rural ministry to the Calvary Global Network. Within this show, I will be interviewing pastors, church planters, ministry leaders, and various rural network directors, all who have answered the call to minister in small and often overlooked places. The aim is to gain wisdom, guidance, and vision to help encourage and equip those already engaged in rural ministry and to make the need for a focus on rural ministry obvious to all. I am Pastor Jack Coltis, and thank you for joining me. All right, guys. Well, hey, welcome to another episode of the Country Chapel podcast. Today, I'm really excited because I got the one and the only Joshua Lewis here with me today. And for any of you guys who are into podcasting ministries, I'm sure the name Joshua Lewis is one you're probably familiar with. I mean, just a few years ago, Josh had started this little podcast called Remnant Radio with him and a buddy. And at the beginning there, they weren't sure what was going to happen with it. But for any of you guys who have been on YouTube, who you love to follow theological discussions and stuff, you have probably seen Josh's face all over the place talking to everybody. And so I am really excited to have him on here to discuss church planting, to discuss pastoring, and to discuss the work of the Holy Spirit. So Josh, before I utterly introduce everything about you to the people, why don't you go ahead and tell the people some things about yourself as well? Sure. Well, Jack, it's uh, great to be with you again and chat. Uh, I've enjoyed our time together, gone out and speak at your church and um, really enjoyed hanging out with you and your family and your community there. That was very life-giving. Uh, still have fond memories. So, uh, you know, the ministry I started in 2017, uh, Remnant Radio, we had a couple iPhones uh, in a small dark room. Uh, I built all my lights out of shoeboxes and uh, spray paint and lighting uh, clamp lights from Home Depot, kind of built my own uh, soft boxes. And uh, yeah, uh, my uncle was involved in television. He did CNN, Fox News, ESPN. I mean, he was involved in lots of different television networks. He helped build Mike Huckabee's first uh, television studio. And uh, he uh, has worked with me with Remnant, kind of getting lighting dialed in and stuff like that, kind of showing me the ropes. And we had a bunch of iPhones. I couldn't even afford tripods at the time because they, again, broke. So I would get a selfie stick from the dollar store and covered it in duct tape, enough duct tape to where it have a thick enough handle that I could slide it into a mic stand at the church. And that's where we would start uh, doing remnant. So yeah, we got it off the ground. Uh, got a prophetic word that God wanted us to do this like, like 2018. So I started in 2017, you know, when you're, when you're kind of scraping by, I thought it was cleaning chimneys and installing soap dispensers in public bathrooms, you know, uh, that would happen actually later. So it was sweeping chimneys and like selling roofs. Like, I mean, I was not not live in large by any means uh, when I started the podcast and we had these three young kids and my wife's like, Hey, maybe you should grind with something that's like actually going to make some money opposed to like this little, you know, YouTube podcast that you're doing. So uh, got this prophetic word in 2018. We were kind of like, okay, let's make this a real thing. Like we both got on board with it and uh, yeah, I just started grinding away. And after that word, um, I would say like three weeks later, I landed you know, Scott Harrell, we got Matt Chandler on the podcast. Robbie Dawkins came on the podcast. We started getting bigger names. And I was like, whoa, like what's, you know, that's kind of weird. Uh, and then, I mean, it's kind of gotten to the point now where, especially after 2020, if we want to interview someone, generally we can interview them. I mean, there's certain camps that don't really want to associate, but the vast majority of like well-intended like Christians want to engage and talk about their beliefs. So we just developed this podcast that helps people break outside of their theological echo chambers. Um, myself, I was raised classically Pentecostal. So like in the assemblies of God space, I don't find myself in that tradition anymore. Um, but that's kind of my background. And I kind of 
came towards the young restless and reform space. I'm not, I'm not Calvinistic, right? I'm not fully reformed now. Uh, but I found myself closer and closer into seeing the law gospel distinctions, having passion for uh, kind of that word and spirit vibe of the Sam Storms and Matt Chandler group and saying, okay, I can be deeply, passionately, theologically robust, but then also pursuing the gifts of the spirit and not having to check my brain at the door and going, okay, like I want to blaze that trail. That's who I want to be. And that kind of happened around the season of Remnant Radio. And uh, and then my wife and I, uh, in 2023, moved to Ada, Oklahoma to plant a church called King's Fellowship Church. Um, we are a year into that project, and I am loving it. I'll tell you, podcasting is great, uh, but God's plan for the world is the local church. And I just want to be a part of what God is doing. I, I, I have a lot of um, personal benefit in doing a podcast. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, personal joy and life giving that the podcast brings to me personally. Uh, but, um, nothing like the local church, man, nothing like it at all. And I'm, ha- I'm happy that we can be supplemental and serve the body of Christ, but, uh, the church is God's answer for the world. So, um, I love it. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things I really appreciate about all you guys at Remnant Radio, uh, Michael Miller, Michael Roundtree, yourself, the fact that you all are all local church pastors, you know, because this is one of the big criticisms that I see, especially coming against, especially like the podcast world and mm-hmm. uh, parachurch organizations more broadly, is how there's often such a hard distinction between these ministries and the local body of Christ. And of course, right. in the last decade, we've seen how uh, that has been quite detrimental in the lives of a lot of ministries. I mean, you, you just even think about on a on a large global scale, even guys like Ravi Zacharias, who was not connected well into a local body of Christ and just how how that just uh, allowed way too much stuff to be able to kind of infiltrate into his life that led to some uh, destruction and disaster. And then even other ministries that aren't connected into local bodies, just how it, things can get so unbalanced. And so that's why I really appreciate uh, you guys, the fact that you're all about the church, you're all about community, you're all about diving in and making sure that you're caring for people on a local level, as well as being accountable yourselves, making sure you guys have people who can check in on you guys. So that's an awesome thing. And so Josh, you planted a church, uh, you know, a couple of years ago now, what were some of the things that kind of led to you planting that church? Like you and I actually haven't discussed that. I remember you had sent me a random prayer request uh, mm-hmm. around that time where you just said, Hey, we're me and my family, we're praying about, uh, some big changes and you're like, but we're not going to talk about it. I was like, yeah, okay. So, you know, I was like praying for you guys. And then later I heard this announcement about a church plant. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to guess that's probably it. What, what were some of the specific things that led you to taking that step? I've done church planting. I did church planting in Seattle. Uh, now, you know, of course I pastor a church, you know, in rural Missouri, and that's a huge, a huge undertaking. Church plant, uh, church planting is not for the weak. So what was some of the things that led you into doing that? Um, man, lots, lots of different things answer that question. So let me kind of dial back a little bit when I early on went to a unaccredited Bible school, um, found a, a job as a youth pastor in St. Elmo, Illinois, worked there for a year. And uh, while I was there, man, I fell in love with rural ministry. There's something about living out in the country that is conducive to discipleship in a way that big city life isn't. And I didn't know that because I, I grew up in Fort Worth my entire life, right? So I moved to Illinois for a year and, you know, people would just call me like, hey, um, like I'm not doing anything. I'm kind of bored. Can I come over and hang out? And it was just like, we could do life together because there's nothing else better to do. <laughs> you know, uh, there was, there was nothing 
you know, in, in that regard. So whereas when I lived in the city, it felt like every moment of every day was planned, distracting myself from my finitude, right? Like, I want to go to the movies. I'm going to go, I've got this, you know, uh, sporting event, like a bunch of adults get together and we you know, play soccer, we play baseball, we do softball. Like there was all these things to keep us busy and distract us. And don't get me wrong. There's lots of fellowship like things that you can do as well. But I found that the kind of relationship forming that takes place in small ruler communities, that was something I, I saw a benefit for. I, I just, I saw that it was valuable. Um, and then, you know, I don't want to pretend like I'm more important or uh, recognizable than I am, right? Because that's not a thing. Uh, but I lived in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and that's like charismatic Mecca. You know, you've got Upper Room, you've got uh, Mercy Culture, you've got Gateway, you've got Todd White's thing. You've got, I mean, there's just like the big, like 5,000, 10,000 member charismatic things going on in Dallas, all over the place, right? So many of them. You even have Kenneth Copeland's thing. So those people don't typically like me, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, uh, so, well, we would just be out and about and like, you know, I'd go exercise, I'd go take my wife on a date, whatever. And everywhere we'd go, we'd get recognized like, oh, you're Josh Lewis from Internet Radio. And again, I'm not saying that happens everywhere we go, but in charismatic Mecca, it happened a lot. And I could feel the kind of my own heart just kind of like soaring with like, ah, you know, like I loved getting the praise of men. And I just realized like that was sinful and I needed to get out. Like I needed to leave. Um, not that, not that, um, you know, I'm not getting any of that here and that I don't stop to crucify that kind of carnal desire in my heart, but there were things that were pulling me out of the city and pulling me into rural community. Um, that was just a couple of those that I was just aware of. And I don't know if you remember this, uh, elephant room interview with, no, it wasn't elephant room. It was, uh, the gospel, Co the gospel coalition came out with a video and it was Mark Driscoll. It was Francis Chan. And it was, who's that bald guy? Um, uh, uh yeah, I guess dating goodbye you know guy. About? No, I, I don't think it's that was him. He was the guy who kind of buddied up with Mark Driscoll for a while. Oh, oh, his life yeah. code. oh, yeah. Uh, James McDonald. Um, oh, yeah, no, yeah. James so James McDonald. McDonald yeah, Mark yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of his guy's name. I know exactly who he is, but yeah, yeah, you know, I couldn't, you know. Anyway, they were talking to Francis and Francis had just closed his megachurch or left, walked away from his megachurch is what he did. And yep. it started going to like be a missionary and planning small churches, you know, doing house church networks, those kinds of things. And they were just grilling this dude alive. They were just like, you know, <clears throat> what are you doing? You know, why are you, why are you leaving it? Or, and, and there was another one, I think with David Platt in it, or maybe I'm getting them confused anyway. Uh, and, and David Platt was talking about how he wants to give all this money to missionaries. And they were like, you know, buy goldfish, buy six different snacks. Like I just remember these two conversations, one with Francis and one with David Platt. And yeah. I just remember they didn't age well because Mark Driscoll and James McDonald had a huge moral failure because yeah. they were building these empires. And I just go, man, I, I don't want that. Like I, mm -hmm. I could, I could do that. Like if I started a church in Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, I, I think it would grow. I think we could, we could market it as like a remnant thing. I think, I think people would jump on board with that. They want the word and spirit vibe. I think they'd be passionate about it um but i was just like man i just i want to i want to care for people i want to care for the person in front of me i want to be a good pastor i don't want to just pastor i want to be a good one like i want to i want to get to heaven i understand i'm going to have a stricter judgment on my life as as an elder someone who's going to give an account for the people that i'm leading but but i also i want to i don't want to i want to do a good job and i don't want to build something huge i want to build something faithful and um that's just kind of some of the things that were going on in my heart. Now, 
um, three years ago, I went to a church called All Saints in um, Oklahoma City. And they were uh, they were becoming a vineyard church. Crazy story. They were a Reformed Church of America, RCA, like mm. Dutch Reformed Church becoming a vineyard, which was crazy. And I they had called me up for like an interview. And we knew within the first like 15 minutes, I was not their guy. Uh, they were like, they want building acquisitions. They were talking about like, and it was an associate pastor job. So I just kind of went up, talked to him. And they're like, finances, building acquisitions, repairs. Like we want you to manage all these things, properties. I was like, no, like, that's not me. Like, thank you for considering me, but no. And he knew, I knew it was great, peaceful, no big deal. But I just kind of hung out in service. They, they wanted to, you know, still spend time with us for the weekend. And no one knew who we were because it was such an early conversation. Um, no one had been prepped on on me, on ministry, anything like that. In fact, it was kind of a last minute thing that I was even there. Um, so no one in the church knew me. And the pastor had really well discipled. Brock Bingman has really discipled a group of people in his church in the gifts of the spirit very faithfully. And in service, he came up to me and said, hey, Josh, would it be okay if I asked a couple of people to come up and like give you prophetic words after service? I said, sure. He goes, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand, sit right here. Don't move anywhere. Okay. And I'm going to go tell the prophetic people, if they get a word for you to go share it over there. I said, okay, fine. And so worship's going on, beating away. And I kind of walk, I, I kind of watch Brock and it doesn't really matter, but it's, it's built like a pit because it's a reformed church, right? So like mm -hmm. their center chairs are pointed this way, but then like I'm on the side and it's kind of pointing inward. So I can literally see Brock walking around and tapping people on the, on their shoulders and he kind of taps somebody, they look over and then he kind of point and go like 10 seconds and they, they shake their head, you know, and he go off to the next person. So uh, seven people at that church all over the sanctuary, different places, seven of them came up and gave us the exact same prophetic word. Like one guy yelled at me in King James English, but like it was still the same word, right? Like yeah, they're yeah. all like he must have been a new guy because it was like there there's such a low hype church. But yeah. uh anyway, so they all came and gave me words and it was like, hey, God's called you to move. God's called you to plant. Um and there's another thing that he told us to do. But me and my wife did not want to plant. Um planting a church is hard. Um and anyway, so all that was kind of happening. Uh a couple years later, but we're still going, I don't want to plant alone. Um, I want a church to send us. Like there was a lot of these questions that were going on in my, in my heart, in my mind. I wanted to do it right if we were going to do it. Um, and around that time, uh, someone had reached out to me to interview at a church in Ada. And, uh, and I kind of talked to the pastors there. I talked to the board, you know, it was, it seemed like it was going good. And I thought, well, maybe this is the word, like maybe they just got it wrong, planting a church, taking over someone else's church, eh, whatever. And uh, anyway, we fell in love with Ada. We fell in love with these people. Um, we, there was a, there's a couple of families that we knew who lived here and we just built great relationships. And I think the Lord used even that interview to get our attention on the city. Um, and the other, the offer didn't, you know, they, they picked another guy who frankly fit the ethos of that church so much better than I would. Uh, I told him, Hey, if you, <laughs> if you hire me with no uncertain terms, I didn't say these exact words, but pretty close. Like I'm going to gut this thing like a fish. Like it's like, it's, <laughs> it's going to be completely, we're going to have elders. We're going to have church members. Like, I, you know, like there was, there were so many things that I was like, I would change. And like, you've got to, you got to be ready, like buckle up. Cause if you hire me, things will change for sure. And, uh, and that's just what you have to do in interviews. You have to be honest. You got to mm -hmm. you know, show your cards. You don't want to like come in there say one thing and then lie, you know, lie on the front end and then come and change it and be, 
mistrusted your entire time that you're there. So yeah, uh, the guy hired, he's doing a great job. I hear nothing but positive things, that kind of thing. So yeah. And, and we have good relationships. We still kind of hang out with staff there and, and it, it's great. So, but it gave, it got our attention on the city and the people of the city and we really fell in love with them. And, and that's kind of what kind of led us here. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, no, actually, Josh, one thing I really appreciated about you also kind of sharing that little bit about your interview there, that you were just up front with them. Hey, if I come in, I'm going to change everything. You know, yeah. I think th that's actually kind of a key difference that people need to recognize within themselves as when they're going into community, whether they should take over an existing church or whether they yeah. should do church planting. Because one of the big things that I that I have learned myself and anybody who especially comes into smaller areas and takes over existing churches, if you're going to make that work, you can't just come in and do big changes all at once. I, oh, gener no, generally that will crush that yep. will crush a new uh, a ministry and a church and the people will get tired of you very quick and kick you out and so you know because and a lot of the guys i've talked to from different rural church planning networks and stuff they've all said hey if you come in and you take over a church you got to know it's going to be long and slow and you got to be in yeah. for the long game because it'll take years for people to gain that kind of trust and you got to cast complete new vision and change dna yep. however though when you choose to do church planting. And this is where like my pastor in Seattle, when I came in on and took on a church, he's like, dude, you should have done church planting because it's a lot easier because of the fact you can do whatever you want. From the very 100%. beginning, you lay the foundation and that's what you're building off of. And the so expectations, yeah. Yeah, the expectations, everything is already there. So you don't have well, to do, them, do all that other work. I'm with you and I 100% agree. I told them, yeah. you know, the principle of you never move the organ across the stage on your first Sunday, you move it. Yep inch every week for six years right like yep. that's just how you make changes in established churches so the, yep. the, those were conversations we had you know i just i, I wanted them to know yes I'd, I'd move it slow but i would move it like yep. you have to know when you hire me things would change yep. um, and again i think i think i have the liberty to speak that way and i can tell your audience this i don't care you know i get paid a full-time salary with remnant that's mm -hmm. that's my full-time job so like hey i'm I don't care if you don't want to hire me. That's fine. Like I'll, I'll, I'll keep, <laughs> I'll fall back on my international media ministry that I've built. Right. Like I'm not suffering. Most yeah. pastors who go into interviews are, they feel shackled. They're like, I don't have a job. I'm looking for a job. If this people don't hire me, I don't know where my next one's coming from. Yeah. Right. Like it's sparse and they're, they're, they're in a position where it's like, Oh no, like I'll compromise. I'll work with you. And they won't, they don't get this opportunity to really lead and kind of blaze a trail and like, consequences be you know darned uh whatever you know like you know uh just kind of throw caution to the wind and say hey if i'm gonna lead this is the way i'm gonna do it and get on board or don't but i think i had some liberty to do that because i wasn't tied to a salary it wasn't tied to um you know some of those other things so anyway i, I think yeah. i think uh, my situation would be very different than others i also agree wholeheartedly you don't move the piano your first week in there, you, you take incremental steps. And I would have hundred percent done that, but some people don't know exactly what they're, what they're saying yes to. And I wanted to make sure they understood exactly what that was. Yeah, no. And yeah. I think that, 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 that's great, man. That's great. And so let's kind of take a, uh, let's, let's kind of turn things here a little bit too. I mean, for anybody who sees an interview with Joshua Lewis, they know there's going to be a big, uh, focus on gifts of the spirit and stuff as well. Sure. And that's what I really want us to kind of talk about, too, within the local church, you know, because you're one of these guys, you've really established yourself uh, within the charismatic realm as being a voice of reason and uh, being actively engaged in the charismatic church 
and in the gifts. And as you and I even kind of discussed before the interview, I mean, with some uh, controversies and stuff without going into details, I mean, you're also one of the voices that people will reach out to because they know you and your ministry, you care about the gifts of the spirit. You want to see them exercise. You guys are not cessationists by any means, but you guys want to make sure they're done right. And so I think it'd be really good for us to kind of zero in on what does that look like then in the local church? You know, especially for you as a pastor now, uh, pastoring a small church plant. Actually, how many people would you say are coming to your church on a Sunday? What what, what would you guys say you're at? I mean, we've had 75 people. I mean, like that's I'm talking like a church plant guy. Yeah. Um, At one time, the stars aligned just perfectly. Uh, Someone tripped in. We counted the pregnant lady twice. We had 75. (laughs) Uh, So no, but but on on a serious note, we probably have closer to 50 people, including kids every Sunday. Um, or or approximating that number. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and the thing I like about that too, is because for most guys who are in rural settings, now the area you're in, it is kind of a rural setting. It's a little larger than probably what a lot of my audience is. And especially you've been to my church, you know, it's a heck of a lot larger. Yeah. I'm a It's larger than a whole County. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. But the, but the reality is most people in small towns and rural areas, they probably will never have more than a hundred people on a Sunday morning. You know, sure. that's that 75, that 50 to 75 number is normally kind of the range for a healthy church. And I, I can't sure. even remember what the number is off the top of my head, but Pretty it sure is the a, national average is 80. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The national average of a church is 80. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of the standard that we would see within a church. So now when you're pastoring a group of people, you know, average of 50 on Sunday, um, are you guys doing home groups and home Bible studies as well? So we started with basically a home group. We effectively was a home group. We were meeting in a home. We found another building, uh, found then found another building. And we're kind of like, we're, I think we're in a, a really nice spot right now where we're renting from a four square church. That is okay. uh, so gracious. Justin and and his wife both are, uh, if you're in Ada and you know, you're, you're looking for a Sunday morning thing, that, that, that four square church is nothing but gracious and giving and would encourage people to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where we're at now. Uh, do we do home groups? We are launched. We have one launched uh, February 7th. So six days from the taping of this, um, we'll, we'll have a, a home group that will kick up and that'll be the first one we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, again, kind of my philosophy of things is I want to do everything that we do really well before we add something. And I want people to be really eager to do that something um, when we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we have so many things on the calendar that we're just constantly busy, but no one's like passionate about what we're doing, I don't want to do it. So, uh, yeah, so we've got, we've got our Sunday mornings that we do. We have once a month Saturday where we, I bring someone into train on the gifts of the spirit. And then we have like a prayer meeting once a month as well. So two Saturdays that kind of somewhat function as a small group, because what we're doing is we're doing short teachings, but then we're having people practice, which I think is maybe getting into one of your other questions. Um, and then we have a, we have a home group that we're, we're launching as well. So, um, I don't know if that's, that's helpful or, yeah, well, let's kind of, let's, let's talk about kind of each of those things then and how you bring the gifts of the Holy spirit into that. So why don't we go ahead and start with the non Sunday morning things and then we'll work towards Sunday morning. Okay. So you said you guys got a, once a month, you guys have a prayer meeting, you guys have, uh, you'll have a special guest kind of come in and teach on them. You're just starting a home group, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm sure you got a plan of how you're going to incorporate into there. And then you got Sunday morning, so let's kind of start with that. What does your guys' prayer meeting look like? Like, what is kind of the structure and the emphasis of that prayer meeting for you guys? Sure. Yeah. So the ones that we've had, I mean, I'll often we'll have you know four subjects printed on a piece of paper that I hand mm-hmm. everybody when they walk in. Um, it could be like, Lord, you know, give us 
your direction on how to reach our city, like lost souls, right? Um, holiness, unity, um, those kinds of things are in there. Um, you know, expose things that are in our heart that we didn't know were there. So like I'll have, I'll have subjects and I'll have Bible verses kind of attached to them. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to mobilize our people to pray, but also to pray biblical language. So um, we will say things to the effect of like, hey, you can pray about whatever, um, but we want to kind of direct our prayers. If, if you're not participating, uh, if you find yourself, your mind wandering, these are things that you can pray for, right? Like giving people direction. If you don't give people direction, some people who are like prayer warriors, I mean, you know what it's like. You got those those mamas in the church who are like, they'll, they'll, they'll come in and travail all night and that's just a normal Saturday for them. But then you have other people who are like, ah, we're going to a prayer meeting. I don't know what to do. I'm not super comfortable with this. I, I, I'm not a good, I'm not good at praying, right? So you're like, okay, well, cool. If you're not good at praying, meaning you get distracted and you run out of words and you're not sure what to do. Well, here's a list of things, four things, not crazy. It's not all over the place. Uh, you know, what it looks like for souls, what it looks like to have power in our church, what it looks like to have holiness and unity within our community. Those are the kinds of things I want us to pray for. And then you can go look up those Bible verses that I've attached. Okay. I'm going to flip over here and go, okay, this is the language Jesus uses when he prays for these things. I'll, I'll pray that we'd be one as, as Christ is praying we're one. So that gives you something to pray alongside of. So that's generally what those prayer meetings look like. Uh, we just got worship off the ground, you know, so we've been listening to you know, stuff on a, on a computer that's been playing through the speakers. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we typically do. So I haven't, haven't even had a prayer meeting with a worship leader yet. So it's, it's really just been a group of people sitting in a circle, praying, listening to some worship music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you, how have you seen, uh, the gifts kind of manifest in that time? Have you seen much of the gifts manifest or, or is not it more just time. kind of, you're just waiting? No, huh? not in those times. In fact, I don't even think they're geared for that. They're mm-hmm. not even geared for, okay, guys, let's pray for each other. Um, it's just more of like, Lord, we're, we're gathering together. Um, you know, Jack, I, as much as I do the YouTube charismatic thing, Mm -hmm. I need people to know that like, I am so passionate about the Bible. I'm so passionate about the gospel. I'm so passionate about, um, the law being rightly divided for God's people. Um, the sacramental approach to what we do as a community. So I love the gifts of the spirit, but I am not trying to make my church the gifts of the spirit church, right? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I want the gifts vibrant and and participating in our church. I, it's one of our core values. It's who we are as a community. But if you were to walk into our church, you're going to hear like the gospel. You're going to hear worship that exalts the heart and focuses on Jesus, right? Like you're, you're going to, you're going to hear a normal church uh, or at least what I would hope is normal. Um, so Yes, I love the gifts of the spirit. We're not we're not looking to like introduce them in every area per se. Um, you know, each each moment's got its own its own thing. Um, our Saturdays, if we want to, do you want to move to that? Yeah, let, yeah, let's go ahead and move to that. Yeah, the, the once a month training. Yeah. Um, so I had Cordell come in. He he leads the prophetic ministry at Bridgeway. Um, I've had um, he Cordell came in last month. Uh, I've had uh, Chris Holder. He's in Texas. None of these guys are like, you would know them. Like, you're like, I've looked these guys up. Like, these are just local church guys who train prophetic teams at their local church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, uh, he's at Paradox. Uh, my, my friend, uh, I just mentioned his name. Um, uh, Chris Holder. Yeah, Chris Holder is at Paradox Church uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, I've had, uh, you know, Elijah, my buddy from, uh, Oklahoma city come in and do a training one time. I've had, 
Matthew Esquivel, he's an associate pastor at Storehouse Dallas. He's coming up this week uh, to work with our church. And I find that bringing in different people, especially when it comes to prophetic gifts, um, to exercise those things in a community, uh, to see them happening is really important. And to see someone who doesn't know us. When you're in a small town and you're in a small community, practicing the gifts of the spirit can be hard because you're like, I'm giving a prophetic word to my best friend and I know everything about their life. Is this a word of wisdom or a word of obvious, right? Like, uh, so it can be difficult. And and they've introduced quite a few practices into our community to keep us practicing the gifts of the spirit in a way that challenges. In fact, here's an example. We, we group the, the whole room in ones and twos, right? This happened last Saturday, Cordell, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, right? Split them all up. He's a like a principal. He's working up to being a district superintendent over a school district. So like he, the one, two with kids makes sense, right? So he, he has all the deal. ones. Yeah, stand against the wall and face the wall. So they're looking directly at the wall. They can't see anything behind them. And then he has twos randomly decide which person they're going to stand behind and just stand behind them. And then the ones without knowing who's behind them, Ask God to give you a picture, a word, a whatever. If you don't get anything, no pressure, but like you're asking God to speak to you. And then I want you to share it without knowing who's behind you. So you're actually talking to the wall, sharing to the person behind you. And then you turn around and you're like, oh, that's you, you know, whatever. So like you're giving a prophetic word, but like you don't know who you're giving it to. And that's the way, that's a way that we have been able to practice the gifts of the spirit without um, being afraid of the intimacy of our relationship. Um kind of bleeding into some of those practices. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there, there are things like that, that we do. Um, we've had people come in mostly focusing on the gift of prophecy. As I understand first Corinthians, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 is that prophecy is, is one of the greater gifts uh, as we're told to pursue greater gifts. The gifts that encourage the body the most are ones that, well, I didn't know if it was God. Then I said it and then it was, so it edified me. And then it edified you because the contents and intention of your hearts were kind of revealed and God highlighted something very specifically for you. And then mm-hmm. the body of Christ can see how much like we're both edified and like, oh, surely God is among them. Right. Like, so it's a it's a corporately edifying thing. So we we will have and 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 I don't know if we have had people come in and do healing. I've taught on it once, um, you know, so our Sunday mornings, I taught through Galatians, taught through Habakkuk. I taught through uh, Genesis and now I'm teaching through Habakkuk. So like I haven't even really preached gifts of the spirit sermons myself, but like one or two times since mm-hmm. I've been here, mm-hmm. um, but just bringing in other folks. Um, that's been something we've done and I, I have remnant radio. So I will, I use remnant radio as a resource frequently. So if people are like, Hey, I want to do training. It's like, well, I developed this 13 week discipleship course on the gifts of the spirit you can take it for free because you're a church member, right? So like take the course and they have a small group that's plugged into that. They can practice the gift. So it's like, we've already developed this thing that can basically run and it's evergreen and they can yeah. just use it when they want. Um, so church members are doing, doing that. Uh, so I've had, you know, six people, seven people go through a 13 week course and discipling them in the gifts of the spirit. And we kind of require that before they do stage ministry um, just because, we would articulate that Sunday morning is the opportunity for the mature expression of the gifts. We don't want someone on Sunday standing up and giving a thus saith the Lord. And I have to like take the mic from them and say, well, the Bible says this, not that, uh, this word was off for so many different reasons and put someone to shame unnecessarily. So we don't have open mics. We want people to learn our culture. 
our vocabulary. We want people to be able to learn. We want to make sure that their their character and their fruit is manifest within the community. We want to see them having exercised gifts of the spirit in a way um, that we can identify that gift before we can mm-hmm. hand them a microphone. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like we put some steps and some hurdles in place intentionally. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what, you know, prayer meetings, Saturdays or trainings where we bring someone in. And then Sundays, you know, we do prayer ministry. I think like most people would, you know, during worship, Hey, you can go get prayer in the back We, have, you know, people who are in the back praying for the sick, praying for all kinds of different issues, you know, just come get prayer. Um, and then we do uh, prophetic ministry where typically right now at the end of the service, we have people come up and share words if they have them. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen all the time, but it yeah. can. So, and those are qualified people that have gone through those steps, right? Yeah. So uh, it's a small list at this stage, but we have a small church and that's okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and let me ask you about that too, because some people might even wonder more about, you know, uh, what are these steps? And and especially for people who have never had any experience in training in the gifts, you know, because l- let's sure. just be honest, a lot of people who uh, have experienced the uh, miraculous gifts of the spirit, you know, I, I can say this for myself, it just kind of happened. You know, there was no training. There was no discipleship. Sure. I mean, it, it was in my teens when I first kind of received some prophetic words and had some dreams about uh, certain people and individuals. And, and you know, these things just took place. One time I was driving down the road and suddenly I just started getting hit with this thought of you need to contact this friend and you need to tell them don't do it. And then it turns out they're about to, you know, give into some sin and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people associate walking in the gifts of the spirit as it being just some sort of spontaneous thing. And then when they hear about being trained and discipled Mm. in the gifts of the spirit, uh, because, you know, this has been common practice in some of the charismatic Pentecostal realm where, you know, they'll start like giving people primers to try to make them speak in tongues and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of people can have hesitation when it comes to training and discipling the gifts. So, you know, when you're talking about training and discipling, what does that look like even on a more general level to kind of help uh, take away confusion people might have? Yeah. So I think we'll start with a principle up front. Um, Principally, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts. No, no question there. I can't, I can't, hey, repeat after me, you know, should have bought a Honda, but about a Nissan, right? And then now you can speak in tongues. Great. So we're not doing that, right? We would wholesale reject um, just say the first thing that comes into your head or just, you know, speak in tongues or like we're, we're trying to um, on-ramp people into um, the gifts of the spirit, train them in the gifts of the spirit. And when I say train, think of um, the gift of pastoring, the gift of teaching. Everyone would acknowledge those are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. But we also have seminaries that train people and equip people on what those things are and then how to develop those things more. So you might go to seminary learn about the gift of teaching, even practice the gift of teaching and never have the gift of teaching, right? You could get up there and and be like, I'm going to give you a three-point sermon and it flopped, right? And you mm-hmm. just don't have the gift. Holy Spirit hasn't given it to you, but you're, you're positioning yourself. You don't know if you have a gift until you practiced it. You don't know if you have a leadership gift until you step out and try to lead. You don't know if you have a servant gift, right? If you don't serve, which is one of the reasons I think every person in every church, if you're trying to find your spiritual gifts, don't take a spiritual gifts test. That is a waste of time because you will have a value system that is attributed to those gifts because of the churches you've attended or the church you're currently a part of. If if evangelism is super important to your church, guess what? Uh, the people who take spiritual gifts tests are going to score higher on evangelism because it's based off of their preference and their desire rather than fruitfulness. 
you practice in all the different areas of the church, whether it be worship, some kind of leadership, whether it be in youth or, you know, young adults or, you know, uh, senior ministry, whatever it is, you practice gifts in, in all these areas and you serve in every capacity you can in a local church, you'll look to your life and say, where is God giving the most grace? And then you go, well, that's probably where he's gifted me. So uh, we would encourage people to step out in leadership roles, to step out in practicing teaching, those kinds of things. We're saying that this works in the same way. Um, we would encourage people to look at the Old Testament. There are schools of the prophets. What is that if not a group of people who are being trained to prophesy? Um, we want to give them biblical language. We want to show them what the Bible says. Uh, we want to create some safe boundaries on, on what that can look like in our local church and in our context. Um, and then we are, you know, um, instructing them on how to practice these gifts. So, you know, I might describe prophetic ministry time um, as, hey, I, I want I want us to, prophecy is to encourage, to give someone courage. Uh, it's to edify them, right? It's to build them up. Um, so we're going to ask God for encouraging, edifying words that build up. We're going to ask God to speak to us in different ways because the Bible talks about God speaking in different ways. Uh, Jesus knew that, that someone had been healed in a crowd. Why? Because he felt power leave him. He, he Something physiological cued Jesus, a feeling cued him to say that God had done something. God spoke to Jesus through a feeling. He knew that someone had been healed. God had communicated something through a physiological experience. Um, uh, so we know that God can speak through feelings. And then, and then we have Bible verses that say that God, uh, speaks in pictures, like in, in visions, right? So Peter falls into a trance, you know, we know that God can, uh, speak through, uh, voice, audible voices, right? John heard, um, I have glorified my name. I will glorify it again. Other people standing around heard it thunder while others said an angel spoke. So there's audible voices, but there's also what we would call an internal audible voice, like in, I think it's second Kings three, a group of Kings come to Elijah, give us a prophetic word, Elijah. He goes, won't do it. You guys stink. Uh, actually I'll do it. Cause there's one guy among you. That's okay. He's kind of decent. And he goes, give me a, a, someone, a minstrel to come from your, your group. And this sinful minstrel amongst these sinful Kings come and plays this harp. And as the harp plays, the spirit of the Lord falls upon Elijah and he begins to prophesy. He hears the word of the Lord, but everyone else there didn't hear that word. So it was some kind of internal audible voice. It was some kind of internal communication where God spoke to Elijah, but not in an audible way where other people could hear it. So um, there are just various ways that God speaks. So we would teach people, these are the ways that God speaks. And then what we want to do is we want to quiet ourselves and ask God to speak and see if he does. Right. Mm -hmm. And some people will go, well, how do I know if it's me or how do I know if it's God? You know, there are some helpful things that I encourage people to do. Like I describe them as intrusive thoughts personally, kind of quiet myself, ask God to speak. And boom, Ninja Turtles comes to the mind. Well, why, why Ninja Turtles? I didn't watch Ninja Turtles. That's like, that's a weird thing for it to come to my mind. And it's like, okay, well, I've got this picture of, you know, uh, uh, the, the Ninja Turtle that's got the stick, you know, and, and I'm like, Donatello. what does that mean, Lord? And thank you. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> again, I don't know anything about Ninja Turtles. This has <laughs> happened to me before, by the way. Um, so Anyway, so like things, things like that where, okay, I've got a picture. Now, what does the picture mean, Lord? And then the Lord will communicate. And this again happens in the Bible all the time where prophets process with God, right? Like, you know, I think it's, I think it's Ezekiel is laying on the side and the Lord's like, what do you see, buddy? And he's like, I see a pot across the room and there's water pouring out of the pot. What does that mean? And God's like, this is the way that, you know, this nation is going to invade that nation. They're going to pour in like a flood, you know, he's like, whoa, you know, or, or. <laughs> 
Daniel gets a vision and he's like, Lord, what does this mean? Or, or Peter on, you know, the, 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 the roof takes the blanket come down and he wakes up and he says he's perplexed because he doesn't know what the vision means. Right. Like, so there are times where God will give us pictures and we have to ask God and process with God what this means. And God helps us interpret those things. So um, giving people tools to say, this is what the Bible says, and this is how we're going to process these things together. And this is how we're going to discern them in a community, uh, in a low risk situation and, mm -hmm. and see if God would speak. So we would do the same thing with teaching. Um, regardless. So, so, uh, I wouldn't put someone on a Sunday morning and have them teach, um, because that puts them and the body of Christ at danger. Cause we don't know how they're going to exercise that gift, right? We're, we're making sure that they, we test them out on a one-on-one. Do you know how to preach? Can you communicate? Let me help you put your sermon together. Mm -hmm. Cool. We'll test you out in a, in a, in a Bible study. Right. And, and then after the Bible study, maybe put you in a home group or a Sunday school. And then after that, we're going to maybe let you speak in front of the youth group. And then, you know, after that, maybe you come and speak on a Sunday morning, you know, so you just, you give them options of how to grow in these gifts. And, and it's the same thing in a local church. You're seeing if God is manifesting these spiritual gifts in people's lives. And I don't know of any other way to do it. I don't, you know, people are like, well, you know, uh, they're spontaneous in the Bible. And it's like, okay, are they happening in your church? And it's like, no, it's like, well, they're happening in mine, you know? <laughs> so I just, I don't know what to yeah. tell you. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I don't know to tell you, like people, I mean, maybe it works. So let's do it. Like, I know that's not the right answer, right? Well, I'm not a pragmatist, yeah. Yeah. but at the same time, um, everyone who's telling me that's not how it works also doesn't do anything with the spiritual <laughs> gifts. It, you so, know, I was just going to say, Josh, you bringing that up. That's one of those things I I've gotten frustrated about a lot, especially like you, you consider like the gift of healing or gifts, sorry, sure. gifts, plural of healings, plural, there you, go. you know, uh, you just how, right, Jack, Come yeah, on. I'm sorry. I'm trying to, uh, you know, if Sam had heard me say that, he would have slapped me down, man, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grab it. Clutch yeah. his pearls. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do think about that too, because there are a lot of people I know who are going to hear what you have to say. And because they have, um, maybe they're open, but cautious, or sure. maybe they're just not open to the gifts at all. They're going to hear some of the stuff you're saying. And they're gonna be like, well, you, you can't do that. You're just going to be having false prophecies and all this kind of stuff. Da, da, da. They're going to come up with all these objections. And the thing I don't think people understand is when all you do is come up with objections to some of the ways that people are trying to responsibly foster an environment and disciple people in walking the spirit if all you have is objections you're never going to see stuff happen because yep. I, I i mean i've had a lot of conversations with people about healings i mean in in the little church i pastor man i can tell you we've seen a lot of people get healed over the years now i've done a lot of funerals too you know i mean we, we all know this side of the eschaton not everybody's going to get healed. You know, that, that's a right. theological discussion. But at the same time, we should expect these tastes of the future. We should expect tastes of the future kingdom that we're looking forward to after the resurrection. And I've, But I've had so many discussions with people where they get so many weird ideas about healing and stuff. And I'll just start asking, it's like, have you ever seen somebody healed? And truth is, most of these people who are skeptical. No, they never have. They have never seen an instantaneous answer to prayer. They've never had a report after gathering around a person and anointing them with oil and praying over them of seeing somebody get healed. And yet I think in my little church, I can't tell you how many times we're like, we've just prayed for somebody. And then they're like, wow, I have dealt with this for years and it's suddenly gone. These headaches are suddenly gone. And I'm just like, you know, and I know there's nothing special about us, but the difference is when you move into the gifts with an expectation that God is going to do something and that he does want to give good gifts to his kids, he does want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it. And, you know, Jesus mm -hmm. said in Luke 11 that 
when you go in with an expectant spirit and you're not afraid of embarrassment, you're not afraid of failure, then Jesus is going to show up. It's not it's not going to be how you would yeah. necessarily want it to be every time, but he will show up versus coming in with an attitude of skepticism that's never willing to take risks at all. That's right. Dignity is not a fruit of the spirit, right? So Amen. Amen. We're, we're trying to we're trying to save our own dignity. But at the end of the day, um, you know, people can pray to their blue in the face for the gift of evangelism. But if they don't talk to a lost person, yeah, they'll never know. And and you can pray for leadership all day long. But until you try to lead someone, you'll never know. Yep. And the same with teaching. You, you actually have to step out and see. Like you can't just, well, it's going to happen spontaneously. Where Where is that in the Bible? Like it is an argument from silence. Um, I, 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 yeah, anyway, so no, neither, neither here nor there. I, I would just say that um, comparing all of the gifts, maybe one of the most beneficial things for people who have reservations and just saying Paul's reason for writing First Corinthians uh, 13, 14, you know, is because things were out of balance and people thought these gifts were more important than other gifts. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's actually saying, like, look, it's the same spirit, the same Lord who distributes these in the various ways that he chooses. Right. And and if we are going to look at the gifts and say, hey, it's the same spirit who's working in all of God's people, then maybe that these gifts are working in the same way. If you don't ever pray for someone, you're never going to see them get healed. If you never do evangelism, you're never going to know if you have a gift of evangelism. If you never ask God to speak through you and then test to see if what you are hearing is from God, you will never prophesy. Now people would go, well, but you know, I, I think the prophets of the Old Testament had certainty before they prophesied. Well, that's just not true. Um, with Moses, God spoke face to face. With all the prophets, he spoke with riddles and in dark sayings. Job 33, Job's good friend, right? The, the one that God liked, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he goes, hey, God speaks here away and there away, though man do not perceive it. Uh, Samuel is hanging out, uh, you know, in, next to the ark or whatever it was, you know, and he's hearing the voice of the Lord come to him. And he thinks it's Eli, three different occasions. He didn't know it was the voice of the Lord. Um, you look in the New Testament, um, in, in the New Testament, I gave the example of the voice that cried out from heaven and some people thought it thundered. It was the audible voice of God and some people still misunderstood it. This idea that if God is going to speak, it's going to come with a level of perspicuity and, cl and clarity to it. It is a construction of prophecy that we don't see in the Bible. I just don't think that's there. Mm -hmm. um, I think everything has to be tested and weighed. Um, and I think that's why we're commanded uh, to do such in, yeah. in the New Testament and 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and, and 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Yeah. So let me ask then, you know, so because uh, you you mentioned how when it comes to the gifts of the spirit, you want to have a place for people to get trained and to kind of prove themselves out before they would ever go forward on a Sunday morning, which, like you said, is how we'd handle most gifts. I mean, is like that, you know, we want the yeah. best form of the gifts on a Sunday morning. Now, for a lot of the guys, especially in smaller and rural churches and stuff, we also know, generally speaking, we also have a very limited pool. So what is considered totally. the best in a mega church is going to look very different than the best in maybe our little local you. small town churches, you know, that, that's just going to, sure. cause you, you just got a smaller pool you're working with. And so when you're training somebody up in the gifts before you'd bring them forward on a Sunday morning. So you have these opportunities where you guys, you take time to pray and you just ask the Lord to speak and whatever thought vision impression they might have brought, then they share it with the group. How do you guys go about judging these things then? Like, do you just wait for the one person they spoke to? Is it a group judging? How does that first step work? 
Yeah, it's not it's not a it's not typically a group thing. Um, mm-hmm. We we do give rules on the front end. We're not calling out anyone's sin. We're not like, and I'm not even I'm not even the guy who doesn't think that that can happen. Like I totally mm-hmm. think that you could call someone's sin out. Like I think some people are like prophecy is only encouraging. You know what? God's saying repent. Yeah. Uh, you know, like sorry, like that seems like a good thing to do. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, like God did that, right? Like he mm-hmm. he, he confronted them by way of revelation about their sin. Like that's. Yeah, sometimes the way that prophetic ministry works. Well, and, and my yeah. earliest experience, especially in having dreams and stuff, was about very specific sins in people's lives. I mean, so it does happen. It does happen. But I understand happens. why you're saying you don't want it to be all about that because it can get out right. of hand. Yeah, right. So, I, you know, hey, if you feel like the Lord's leading something, do that privately in a different setting, not here. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So like I, I would I would say and then I, I really dr- drive this home. You could have gotten seven prophetic words spot on that night, but be careful not to assume the impression that you had was from the Lord. If that person says no, you drop it and walk away from it. That's that's between them and God at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, so there are people who are like, I know you're doing this. It's like I'm not doing it. Ah, you know, like you gotta, yeah. you've gotta create the airbags for those kinds of ministries. So if you've been in it for a minute, you just know. In the same way that, like, you know, again, it, it applies to teaching and everything else. So, um, what does it look like? You know, we, we're training our church to, is this biblical? Okay. Um, when you're testing words, you know, does this bear witness with you? Does it apply to what you're going through right now in your life? And it's typically a one-on-one sort of thing. So, you know, we might have an exercise where one person sits in the hot seat, as it were, they're sitting in the middle and a group of people are going around, we're praying. Cool. We're going to ask God for a picture and oh, we're going to ask God for a word. You know, this is what I got. This is what I heard. Submit it to the person. Does that bear witness with you? Is that going on in your life? They'll ask those kinds of questions and they will give direct feedback in the group in the moment. No, I don't really, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, you know, or, Hey, I'll go and pray about that, you know, and and, and maybe I'll, you know, I'll come to something. I encourage people to say no, because if it's always, I'm just going to go home and pray about that. um, You're trying to spare someone from the feeling of embarrassment, but they need to know what the voice of the Lord sounds like or doesn't. And if you don't tell them, no, that doesn't make sense, then they won't learn. And you might find that you go home and realize, whoa, that just happened today. And they were, they were given the word of the Lord. I need to go back and encourage them. Then do that, but be perfectly comfortable saying that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't know what that means, or I don't think that is going on in my life. Like just feel comfortable saying no, it's really important. That's the best way for us to grow. Uh, it's in the same way for pastors and teachers, right? You teach something that's heretical. You need to be told no, right? Like you don't need to be told, <laughs> oh, maybe uh, if you really try, you can be told yeah. no. Uh, Jesus is God. Um, you don't yeah. need to go around saying that he stopped being God, right? No, false, you know, and yeah. and, and warn them and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I would, that's typically how we do it, man, is we, we, we give a prophetic word, we share a prophetic word. We do the same thing at our conferences. We'll do ministry from the stage. We'll give a word and we'll just ask, hey, does that bear witness? Mm-hmm. Um, we do, we would, as we develop a prophetic team, because we will have like some people have prayer teams and worship teams, we'll have a team of people who are exercising this gift regularly, who are, um, you know, sharp in this gift. And I feel like we already have a few. Um, and, and there may be words that they get as a community, like, hey, I feel like the Lord's leading our church in this direction. Um, they can submit those kinds of words to the elders. And we as a team can pray through those things. But um people in our church don't get to say stuff like that from stage. Like that's just a rule. Like we, mm-hmm. we have a, we have a rule list of things that you can and can't do from the stage. Um, those kinds of ministry. We're not, we're not prophesying. It's the responsibility of the elders to direct the church in the same way that like there were Kings and prophets in the old Testament. David was held accountable and responsible for what happened to the nation. Now, Nathan could come to him and say, Hey buddy, 
this is what the Lord wants you to do. But at the end of the day, it's David's responsibility to pull the trigger on it. <laughs> Nathan wasn't the leader of the of the, the nation. It was it was David. So pro- prophetic voices can come and submit direction for the church. Um, and we can pray about that and ask the Lord, is this really your leading? Right. But they they don't get to determine that mm-hmm. for where the church is going. So that's why we, we wouldn't do stuff like that from stage. So, you know, we're asking for specific, testable, verifiable words. We're not, I, I'm really occur- encouraging against kind of prophetic words from stage that are like, God loves you and has a plan for your life. It's like, you know, yeah, everyone knows that, right? You know, so yeah, it's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there would, in fact, there would need to be a level of clarity to a revelation like that if someone was going to share it from the stage. Um, and this is what I mean. Like, I, Michael Miller tells a story where the word he got was, yes, you will recover. That seems super vague. But he gave this guy a word. Hey, man, I just want to let you know. It was at a convergence conference. You might have been there. And he said, uh, hey, man, I just, I heard this word from the Lord that, yes, you will recover. Does that make any sense to you? And the guy was like, yeah, dude, you read my mail. And then he goes, okay, come talk to me afterward. Him and his wife had gotten a divorce. And mm-hmm. and uh, he was tying his shoes that morning, kind of in tears, praying, just like, Lord, will I ever recover from this? And like, that was the prayer he prayed that morning. So mm-hmm. it bore witness to that individual. Now it seems vague, right? But like, it's, it yep. really witness with him because of what he was going through and what he had just prayed before he came to the conference. So, um, yeah. So, but, but again, I think that Miller had an experience that was like, it had a level of clarity to it that goes, I know this is the Lord and he's had practice. He knows that it's God. Right. So, anyway, um, I think that all those things taken up to place that you have to weigh through all of these things. I don't think prophetic ministry is super cut and dry, but it's super, um, you know, it's not outlined in scripture for a reason because it's riddles and dark sayings, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so then um, obviously you have these smaller areas where people kind of get some uh, training in it. They get some opportunity to exercise yeah. these things. Now, when it does come to the Sunday morning, then do you only have a set group of people then that you would ever allow to speak? Yep. Yep. Okay. And so what, what do you, how do you kind of set those people aside? How do you let them know, Hey, we trust you. Do you, do you have just kind of like special meetings with some people and you kind of tap them on the shoulders? Like, Hey, you've proven yourself out. I would trust you if you got a word to go ahead and come up and share it. How does that work? Pastor? Yeah. So, speaking. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just a part, a part in our service. We're pretty liturgical. So I do communion. We do prayers of confession. Mm-hmm. We do, um, then I see and create every Sunday. We do, we do all that stuff. So there's a portion in our service where we just take a pause, um, after worship and I just kind of look at the prophetic folks and they either have a word or don't. So the way that it happens at Bridgeway is they have a microphone and they have people with usually with badges or that have just been identified as a prophetic team. And they kind of walk up and they stand by the microphone and typically know more than two or three people just because they don't have time to do more than that, uh, kind of line up and, uh, and then they just give prophetic words. So it's just a designated part in our service. So I don't like going, hey, do you have a word you want to share? They just know if I have a word, I get to share it um, because I've been greenlit for that. Mm-hmm. And when they come up to the microphone, I kind of let people know. We don't really even really use a microphone, but you know what I mean? It's a small room. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, tell, yeah. I tell my room, I was just like, hey guys, look, these people, if you're new here, they um, have been tested. They've been vetted. They've been going through our trainings. They have uh, gone through a 13-week course. They've been discipled. Uh, they've been in a home group where they're practicing these things every week. And uh, we have seen the gift of God manifest in their life. They're credible. They have integrity. This is not an open mic. So that. I will say that sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, but I'm ultimately trying to communicate to my my congregation. I'm trying to remind them, this is not an open mic. 
And, and the reason I'm doing that is because I don't want some rando walking off the street, seeing someone prophesy one Sunday, coming back the next Sunday and think that they have access to that microphone. And they're not going to prophesy over our church. We're not doing that. Right. So mm -hmm. we, we, uh, that's why that's recited, but that's the only reason that's recited. Um, so yeah, we just have a designated time in service. Like you would have a designated time for the prayer team to come up. You probably don't even need to tell them. You could just be like, Hey, you know, worship starts, you know, second song prayer team just comes forward. They just know what to do. And people come up and get prayer if they need it. You know, you might announce it. The worship guy might announce it. If, uh, there's a new person you can see in the room, but if there's not, he's just going to jam away. People are going to walk up forward. People are just going to know what to do. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of works like that in our church. There's just a time in our service where prophetic ministry can happen. If anyone has a word. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. And I really, you know, Josh, one of the things I am really impressed by you and the way you organize your church is how you point out the fact you have a liturgy, you have an order of service. Things aren't just chaotic. I mean, a lot of people, I think, associate uh, more charismatic things, gifts of the spirit and all that kind of stuff with more kind of a, hey, anything goes atmosphere. But like one of the things you've really shown is that in order to foster a place where the gifts of the spirit can work well, you got to have order. You got to have decency within the service. You let people know in advance, you know, who's on what, who does what, all of those kinds of things. And that doesn't in any way take away from the spirit moving, but that actually allows the spirit to be able to move in a safe way where mm -hmm. if there are mistakes made, they can be easily and quickly corrected. But as well as if there is somebody who does have a real word from the Lord, they also know, hey, this is a safe time and place that I am able to share this and is going to be accepted. Mm -hmm. And people who are there listening uh, know that things aren't going to get outlandish. Like you are going to pastor any situation that does take place. We, we have also considered potentially having a point person on the floor to vet words. So mm -hmm. like there's a member of our church, they've gone to the trainings, maybe they haven't gone through a 13 week course because of their job or they have a kid doing soccer or whatever. And like, we, we haven't been able to vet all of these areas of their life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we could test a prophetic word. They can come up and like share a word with our team leader and they can kind of weigh that and go, okay, well, yes, I'm going to share this or no, let's wait until next week. Let's pray about it. Let's see what the Lord said. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so there, there are other ways of doing this as well. And we are thinking through some of that ourselves because there are people in our community who I think we can identify that have a prophetic gift and how can they exercise that to edify the body of Christ? Maybe that just means you go up to someone after service and hey, I feel like the Lord's sharing this. That's mm -hmm. totally acceptable in our context, but it really is public ministry. We're trying to be careful of and craft carefully. I think the way everybody would, you know, for mm -hmm. any, you don't just want some kid getting out there with a guitar who's never played it before leading worship. You know, you want to make sure that they've got some practice. They know what they're doing. They're walking with some integrity, et cetera. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think that should really, I, I would hope, especially for guys who are from more kind of the Calvary Chapel background or the uh, sure. CGN background, because this was one of the things that Chuck Smith, of course, was, you know, very much about. I mean, he believed in the gift of spirits. Yeah. He, he believed in pushing in on them. But he was also a guy who, you know, he had come out of Foursquare kind of in the heyday of when uh, things had gotten a little crazy. He was even like the event manager for, uh, oh, he was what's the guy's name? He was one of those prophet guys who had a huge fall uh, with Kansas city. Um, Oh, Paul, uh, Paul Kane, Paul Kane. Yeah. Paul yeah. Kane. Chuck Smith was actually like his event manager back in the fifties. Oh, so it's like, 
So like Chuck Smith had been in the midst of all of this kind of stuff. And so when Calvary Chapel took off, he was really about, hey, let's make space for the spirit. Let's let's have special times, you know, for the gifts of the spirit to really move and stuff. And, and if you read any of Chuck Smith's writings, I mean, he had a lot of stories of people getting healed, people getting up out of wheelchairs, um, you know, prophetic words getting given. You know, the whole Calvary Chapel movement was birthed out of a prophetic word to a small little church saying, let's hire Chuck Smith and these other things that were going to happen. But, and and so for any of you guys in the Calvary Chapel movement who is listening to this, you know, the, these things should really be kind of resonating with you. Having decency, having order is how we are able to keep the Holy Spirit really active involved, actively involved in our church, moving in the miraculous ways, as well as it's the right way to help guard against some of the excesses we see in some other uh, right. cousins that we have in the faith. But no, Josh, I was just looking at the time and I realized I think we're we're a little past the hour time here. And so there was one more thing I was wanting you to kind of share about kind of a new ministry uh, that you're involved in here. And it's a new network of churches going on. Why don't you go ahead and uh, share with the, the people what it is and even how it could even be a benefit uh, to some of us who are really wanting to push into the word and spirit? Sure. So um, the, the ministry you're referring to is uh, Convergence Church Network. We affectionately call it CCN for now. Uh, not to be confused with CNN. Uh, that would that would upset, I would imagine, my rural pastors. Um, <laughs> yeah, CCN, yeah. Uh, Convergence Church Network. So uh, spring of last year, we had a conference and it was a small conference. I mean, small, relatively speaking. We had five, 400, 500 there. Uh, we did another one in the fall where we had we had more. And then we're going to do another one this next uh, fall, which will be great. And uh, anyway, all that to say is that during that season, we had a live Q&A and the number one question that was asked was, are you going to start a network of churches? Because we pastors just felt alone and kind of isolated. And like, I'm not charismatic enough to be classically Pentecostal. I'm not reformed enough to be 829. They just felt homeless. They're like, theologically, I don't fit perfectly into this bubble, but I want to see the gifts. But the people that are doing the gifts are like wheels off cuckoo land, traveling to jello kingdoms, right? Like, I just, I don't know what to do with these people. And I think, I think it's that, that line of people who are like, man, um, Bethel might be doing some good stuff, but there's enough that's wheels off that I just don't want to, I don't want to rubber stamp it, you know? And then there's a, there's just this weird middle ground. It's a, it's a remnant, if you will. There's a le these leftover people that are like, I'm not this, I'm not that. What do I do? And I think remnant gave them a tribe digitally that they could listen in on and kind of, okay, cool. There's, there's safe and orthodox and not crazy folk out there. And uh, as we were thinking about what would it look like if we put like a network of churches together, Michael, Michael and I were like paralyzed by the thought because none of, none of us can run it. We're all pastors. We, we all do remnant. We're doing what we love. We don't want to add another thing to our list, but we do see that there is a need for this. And uh, so I just wrote out what it would look like. And then Sam Storm sent us an email that week after I typed out what it could look like. Uh, and he was just like, hey, man, uh, this is what I want to do. I want to build a network. I want it to look like this. And we put my document next to his and they look pretty similar. And we, we just kind of took it as a sign from the Lord, like, okay, none of us want, we, we want this. It needs to happen. We would want to be a part of something like this, but none of us really want to lead it, like be the guy. And we all trust Sam. We love Sam to death. And uh, yeah, so Sam's the, the president of CCN. We're on the board. Uh, Michael, Michael and I are on the board and we love the mission. We love the vision of what it is. 
and we will support and help as much as we can. The three tiers of really what CCN offers is, this is the alliteration didn't come from me. I'm not this good of a preacher, uh, was uh, conferences, coaching, and courses. So we're talking about resourcing pastors and teachers with conferences. We are going to do the Remnant Conference and the CCN Conference at Woods Edge Church in uh, Houston, Texas in the fall uh, of this year, 2024. And they're going to come right on top of each other. So I think it's going to be like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for the CCN, and then a Thursday, Friday, Saturday for the Remnant Conference. Mm -hmm. So a pastor can jump in, you know, get trained up. A lot of them have to leave and go back to their churches, um, you know, before Sunday. Uh, so we wanted to create space for them to get the equipping and training they need and networking with other pastors. The focus of that is going to be training them how to train people. The focus on that is going to be how do we uh, help network them together so they figure out where people are that are in their neck of the woods, those kinds of things. And then the other, uh, uh, the remnant conference is really for, yes, teaching, but displaying for people who've never seen it done in a healthy way, but then also equipping them and mobilizing them to do it. So the conferences are very similar. Um, but they're they're also extremely different in the way that we're approaching it. So uh, CCN conference coaching, Sam has opened himself up to like, it's invaluable guys. Sam Storms is a scholar of scholars. I mean, he has worked in the charismatic movement for a very long time. He has worked with John Piper for a very long time. He's been president of the Evangelical Theological Society multiple times uh, to be able to sit and have a coaching call with Sam scheduled um, is worth the cost of administration. Like it's just totally worth it. So he's made himself available to, to churches. We're only, we're limiting the amount of churches that can join the network just because of how much time Sam can give to coach. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, myself, Michael Miller and Michael Roundtree are making ourselves accessible, but mm -hmm. with the kind of responsibilities we have, there's just less access to us. Um, so that's just the reality of it. Uh, and then, uh, courses is kind of a TBD thing. Uh, training churches on the gifts of the spirit, giving them resources, giving them uh, content that would allow them to disciple their, their church. Um, Remnant has just finished a project. When is this video going to film or air? Uh, it'll air probably in about a week or so. Okay. So um, maybe I'll keep that under wraps. We've got a really cool course. We spent uh, uh, it's not gifts related. Uh, it's I'll, I'll just say it. it's a systematic theology course. that goes through the Nicene creed. Nice. that basically every church could agree to like Presbyterians, Lutherans, Baptists, and it's good. Um, we spent a whole week writing like 200 pages of systematic theology and it's good. Uh, and that's one of the things I'm so excited about my church. Like if you come to my church and you're like, what do I do next? It's like, well, there's definitely teams that you can serve on, but I'm going to mobilize you on how to like know the Christian faith, the historic Christian faith. I'm going to give you a course that teaches you how to practice the gifts of the spirit. And my hope is that we'll also have two more courses, one on how to share your faith and how to read the Bible. Because what I want to do, and I want to help other people do, and I think this is part of what CCN is all about, is mobilizing the local church to do the ministry. And if we can equip pastors to equip people, then we can start what I, I would hope to be a kind of grassroots word and spirit like movement. I, mm -hmm. I don't, I personally do not want to see um, churches come in, learn how to prophesy, learn how to speak in tongues and add it to their church. And just like the, 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 the elite in the church get to just kind of do this. I would love to see the body of Christ, the theological shallowness rise for them to go, okay, as a whole, the whole church has an understanding of the hypostatic union, right? Like the whole church has, they might, might not perfectly be able to articulate it, but they understand 
the economic and ontological trinity. Like they understand and comprehend the, the reason that we need atonement in Christ for our sins, right? Like they, they, they have some theological categories under their belt that's accessible and that we're share, showing them how to share that faith, how to read their Bible so that they can make disciples um, so that it's not on the pastor. And what would it be like, Jack? I mean, if you, you were able to, you know, not teach every discipleship, you know, home group and not every small group, you know what I mean? Where you could, you could teach on Sundays yeah, yeah, and then give this to a group of people where they could watch these videos on their own and then break out into home group for eight weeks and talk about theology with a group leader that you know is qualified to talk about it, right? Like you don't even have to lead it. It's mm-hmm. just plug and play. You do it one time, you never have to do it again, you know? So we're trying to develop resources as Remnant and as CCN that we can help do that more and more for local churches. So not, again, that's no promises. I don't know if you're out there and you're like, I'm, I've joined CCN, when do I get that course? I, I don't even know if that course is gonna be available to you. Uh, we're just kind of in the dreaming phase and the planning phase and trying to get some of this stuff cranked out. But that's the hope. What we're aiming for, I think, as a network is how do we, how do we build up the body of Christ in the gifts of the spirit. CCN is a one issue network, right? Mm -hmm. We are not trying to split hairs on baptism. We're not trying to split hairs on, you know, uh, all the various tertiary doctrines that Christians bicker and debate about, whether it's real presence or it's a memorial view. Like we, we, we are not getting involved in whether it's a Presbyterian system of governance or if it's a, an Episcopacy or if it's a, you know, congregational church, like we're not, we're not trying to get involved in people's business. They can be a member of their own denomination. They can be a member of another network. We are just trying to resource people in the gifts of the spirit and how to do it in a healthy and biblical way. Um, and that, that interests, I think, people. And so how, do, what does it look like? You know, for sure, the promises on the front end are coaching and conferences. Um, courses are going to come out. What those look like, I'm not quite sure. We'll see. Yep. Yep. Well, Josh, man, Hey, that looks awesome. And I'm excited to see what that kind of grows into. And, and I am happy that it is just a resource. It's it's like a network resource that's just being opened up to the church broadly that people from a lot of different stripes and streams and stuff can kind of enter into, to go deeper into this topic, which, I mean, it is such a powerful thing. I mean, the gifts of spirit, I mean, I, I just feel like we've just kind of scratched the surface of so many things when it comes to the gifts. I mean, because you and I can both attest to how we have seen the gifts just dramatically impact us in our own lives personally, in the lives of our church, and what a blessing they are. Yet there is a reality, too, that there's a lot of kooks and quacks and other people going on out there claiming gifts that don't have gifts and claiming spirits that, truth is, you probably want to stay away from. And so having a good resource that you can go to, that you can turn to, to know that you'll get good, biblically grounded truth in walking in the spirit and the gifts of the spirit is a wonderful thing to have. And so Josh, um, I was going to just kind of also uh, share with some people, some other resources as well that I think would be very beneficial for anybody who's wanting to dive in a um, couple books that I just turned around and grabbed off of my bookshelf that I would encourage anybody into one. If you're a person who's want, wanting to go deeper in the gifts of the spirit, but you're still kind of confused in the whole kind of theology side of it. And you want a good introduction, I would really recommend you check out this CounterPoints book, Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views. This was actually where I got introduced to Sam Storms back in the uh, mid-2000s when I was listening to Wayne Grudem teach through his systematic theology course, and he mentioned this book. And as many people say, Wayne Grudem, man, that guy's the gateway drug into the charismatic. So I would encourage you guys, check up this book. It was edited by Wayne Grudem. Uh, another book I would encourage people to pick up, especially for those of you guys in the Calvary Chapel circle, 
Chuck Smith has this book, uh, Living Water, and in it, Chuck Smith goes through a lot of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, talking about what they are, what they aren't. And so I would encourage, especially you Calvary guys, pick this book up and familiarize yourself with it so that you kind of know uh, the roots of uh, Calvary Chapel and uh, Calvary Global Network and where we are at on the gifts. I mean, we are not supposed to be an open but cautious movement. We are supposed to be a movement that truly does dive deep into those things. And then, of course, uh, another book I'd recommend, which I don't have it here with me, is Sam Storm's book, uh, The Complete Guide to Spiritual Gifts, which is kind of like, there you go. Josh has it right there. The one-stop shop. If you got any questions about spiritual gifts, pick that book up and you will be blessed by it. I mean, okay. Can I, can I, can I plug books too? Cause I don't oh, please, dude, plug books, okay, man. Cool, plug cool, it. Cool. Plug. So this is, this is, I think one of the best little gems I've picked up in a long time. It's called strangers to fire. Okay. This they're like 50 articles basically written by scholars and PhDs and theologians. And if you're like, Hey, um, I've got a difficult person in church. Who's like super cessationist. And I want to answer their questions. Or maybe you yourself are like, I, I'm beginning to see this in the scriptures. I don't know uh, what to believe about the issue of the gifts of the spirit. I've got some of these nagging questions from my cessationist days uh, about church history, about, you know, all various issues. You know, um, this is a fantastic book. It's obviously responding to John MacArthur's Strange Fire and it's Strangers to Fire. Uh, the lineup on this is nuts. Stanley Burgess, Randy Clark, uh, and I don't, I don't agree with all these guys, so don't, don't judge me for it, but <laughs> William D, D. Ortega, Jack Deere, Paul, uh, uh, elders, Andrew Flores, uh, Robert Graves, uh, Gary Gregg, Wayne Gruden. I mean, James Holden. I mean, I've, I've listed a third of the name, Sam Storms, Craig Keener. I mean, powerhouses, JP Moreland. I mean, scholars of scholars, apologists, historians, theologians, uh, uh, uh you know, conservative, uh, evangelical dudes, high church Anglican dudes. I mean, everyone is going that is just not true. And they answer so many questions in this. I love this book. Highly recommend it. Um, Gift and Giver by Sam or Craig Keener. Fantastic book. Super good. Uh, it's a much smaller, more condensed of his work. He's got two volumes on miracles. I don't really advise people to read those books necessarily just because they're so huge. They can be kind of daunting and overwhelming. Yeah, they're more uh, of a then, good it, reference source. Yeah. <laughs> It is a good reference source for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, there are people who are like, I got to figure this out and I'm a nerd. Then go read that book. And so it'll be a one-stop shop for sure. And I think Sam's book is great too. Uh, that's what we use for our course is we take them through that book along with the videos and the small group and the practice time. So, um, and then these are uh, Jack's. I've got the old copies. Uh, still surprised by the voice of God. Still surprised by the power by Jack Deere. I think those are great books. Um, anyway, uh, those would be the ones I recommend. I think the ones you recommended were at the top of my list as well. I just, I happen to be in a room full of books uh, and love them. So there was this new one that just came out. Have you read um, Church Who Hears? I have not. No, who's that by? Tanya Harris, brand new book, Church Who Hears. She is an Australian PhD. Like she wrote her DS dissertation on this subject. Hmm. And I think there is so much to be... Um, still worked through on this subject. I don't pretend to understand or fully comprehend. Uh, I think you've, you've probably heard us talk about this, Jack, on the podcast. Um, I am not as convinced as I was about prophetic ministry. I don't want to like open a can of worms for your audience right as we end the program that the there's such a huge discontinuity between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. Mm -hmm. I don't, I know Grudem made a big, strong case for it. Love Grudem, highly respect him. I don't know if I buy it anymore, though. 
Uh, that's not to say that the prophecy that takes place today is scripture. I still don't believe that. But I also don't believe all the prophecy in the Old Testament was scripture either. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if there are two different forms of authority that take place. She's written some, even if it's nothing like but thought-provoking, I would really encourage people to pick it up uh, because it's really interesting. Don't pretend to have it figured out. Don't pretend to have all the answers. Uh, scripture is scripture. Prophecy is not. Um, but simultaneously, there I think there's there's a lot of theological work that we need to put legs on uh, from Old Testament prophecy that I still think needs to be done. And, and Tanya does a great job talking about some of the crossover between old and new. So, yep, yep. Hey, yeah. you know, and actually, Josh, you kind of touching on that, too. If anybody else would be interested in a real kind of short, uh, semi short, uh, concise doctrinal explanation of the gifts of the spirit, specifically prophecy, I actually contributed a chapter to a book that ended up not getting published for uh, various different reasons. Uh, where I was kind of giving a defense of uh, prophetic gifts uh, today. And so if anybody would be interested in that, I would be happy to uh, send that work out to anybody as well. I go through Old Testament, New Testament, uh, scripture versus uh, prophetic words like we're talking about, you know, because there's yeah. a lot of people, they don't understand the difference in those things and stuff. And so if anybody is interested in that, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to uh, send that over to you. I go through a lot of historical examples and stuff as well. And also, and of course, Josh, your entire podcast has hours and hours of stuff on this content if you're like me and you just like to listen to stuff while you're running exercising playing with your kids doing whatever you do you know uh you know please check out remnant radio it is it it has out i i you know i honestly i can't even follow you guys stuff anymore i mean it's like i'm able to pick up some shows you guys keep putting out so much stuff dude i'm like i I don't even people will ask me did you watch this video it's like i don't even know they're about this video man i get it i get it i'm the same way dude i i don't watch everything we produce uh so don't feel bad about it (laughs) The, the the books that I just referenced, I want people to know, like, I'm not inventing new things. I'm just regurgitating PhD scholars. So like, if you watch Remnant yep. Radio and you hear us like, why is it that they're doing all this content? It's because nobody reads books anymore. And I want people to know like what we believe and what we teach. And like, I'm just distilling this information. I'm, I'm plagiarizing Jack Deere and Sam Storms. That's why we're friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're like, wow, I just agree with everything you said. It's like, yeah, it's because I stole it from you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you kind of touched on something, too. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, if somebody is just coming up with something that's absolutely brand new, you shouldn't want it anyways. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you want Honestly. stuff that's been regurgitated and yeah. it's been proven true over time. So, that's yeah. right. <laughs> OK, well, hey, Josh, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate you, buddy. Anytime. This has been an episode of the Country Chapel Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Global Network. Please like and share this with your friends in ministry and subscribe so that you can be notified whenever we release any future content.